Welcome to Faith Over Breakfast. Uh, this is Andy Littleton from Mission Church in Tucson, Arizona, sitting across from my buddy with the pink keychain, Eric Seepin from the village. Yeah, the unicorn. That's a ooh. That is incredible. So, so here's the thing. My wife works in the admissions at the U of A. So, if you get into the University of Arizona, it's because she approved you. Oh. And one of her coworkers, they call him the unicorn. Yeah. Because apparently. Anytime there's a question that nobody knows anything, he, he can answer. Can answer it. And so he's become his nickname is the unicorn. So all of his office mates, any excuse, will give him unicorn. So his entire office is full of pink unicorns. This is one of them that's left over from that. Wow. Well, that's the perfect segue because today we had the pink unicorn, Paul Vandershaw, <laughs> with us and uh, and his friend John Van Donk. <laughs> And, uh, right. Yeah, was did a, you see how I did that? Yeah, um, it was really good. And, uh, no, we had a, we had a really fun conversation. Uh, Paul and John are in town. Uh, John is kind of an orchestrator of big ideas I hear. And he has, um, orchestrated Paul's fifth missionary journey, which is a trip across the West coast in which, uh, Paul Vanderclay, uh, who's got a YouTube channel, um, who that's, that's really grown lately, especially around talking about Jordan Peterson. But when we put a um, link to it, it's just going to dive. It's going to faith. Over yeah. Breakfast, yeah. Yeah. Just, Our faith <laughs> over breakfast matrix will all of a sudden get layered on yours <laughs> and you're going to go back to just being a normal guy, but, um, which might be fine as, uh, as we discuss, as we get in here. So anyway, we had, had a good conversation. It was really good. Really uh, glad to have them on. Stay tuned in, especially if you want to hear about, um, yeah, what it's like to do ministry in an online space and then see that um, come home into real relationships um, and then all a lot of discussion that surrounds all that. Yeah. Hey, good morning, uh, Eric. It's it's good to see you, man. And I've I've actually been seeing you. For a little while, we just went to we just went to prep and pastry for some breakfast, and we've got friends. We've got friends with us today, and it's we we us. never have friends. We rarely have friends. I want to take a quick okay, moment. I want, I want to stop right there and no. say that you always correct everything I say. Let's just well, let's get there. I want to go with my hyperbole. We never have friends. Let's just leave it at that. You're absolutely right. Thank you. Oh, I feel so much better. Uh, <laughs> so much better. There's a quick matter of business that we do need to deal with, and that is that um, not too long ago here on Faith Over Breakfast, Eric uh, stated that he had been food poisoned by prep and pastry. And so today I said, Eric, you want to go back to this place where you got food poisoning? He said, I didn't get food poisoning there. And I said, you said you did publicly to our millions of listeners in Japan <laughs> who might be coming here to you know, take a vacation and they're going to avoid this place. And he said, oh, it turns out I was just sick. I That had nothing to do with prep and pastry. So we need to clear the record. Eric Seepin is fine eating at prep and pastry. In fact, I know all the waiters. and He knows the waiters. Um, it was delicious. The potatoes are great. It's all good. Very good. So, um, yeah. Anyway, Eric, who, who do we have with us here? They've been hanging out at your church. Uh, well, have they been hanging out at my church? Yeah, I mean, you weren't here, but they were. I wasn't been. here. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe you. Maybe, I was here. <laughs> maybe you could introduce. Okay, we've got we've got Paul Vanderclay, John Van Donk on for this uh, for this episode, and Paul Vanderclay has a, a YouTube channel that has become it's it's kind of it's kind of made made a lot of moves, and it was kind of on accident, um, and it had a lot to do with talking about Jordan Peterson originally, and he is a pastor in Sacramento. Am I correct? That's correct. And uh, and he was sharing things on his YouTube channel, came across Jordan Peterson. It got some more traction. He's found himself with a following. Um, and uh, and so he was down doing kind of a, a tour of the, the Western United States um, with his lead guitarist, John Van Donk, who's uh, <laughs> who sitting here. steals <laughs> napkins from people. Who uh, does have a prep and pastry napkin here um, and may oh, no camera. not return it. <laughs> a little, yeah. little stealing problem. No, the camera's right there. When you're used to YouTube, yeah, you hold things up for the camera, but That's right. guess what? Didn't We used to have a guy who'd come on who who would always talk about our viewers. He would say, our viewers are probably interested. So it's you're not the first. But John Van Donk... Uh, is is a friend of Paul's has been on the YouTube channel and and tell us about how you got to know Paul. Let's just start. Let's just jump into this. Paul and I share um, a relationship as 
co-pastors or fellow pastors in the Christian Reformed Church, and there is a, uh, a web forum, an email uh, forum where conversations um, happen among CRC voices. CRC yeah. voices, yes, and we uh, we both participate there, and that's when I first came across Paul with, uh, at that time, before he got into this video thing, was very active and wrote very perceptive and thoughtful pieces that I, I was drawn to, and, and I appreciate him on account of that. Um, then when he began to do his Jordan Peterson thing, I paid attention and I looked at some of the videos that he produced and was quite intrigued by that as well. And then it turns out that his church is about 20 miles away from where my in-laws live and occasionally when we go to Sacramento area, I would just I'd call him up and say, hey, let's have breakfast or, you know, and th- that kind of how the relationship blossomed. And, um, and then it turns out that he is drawing quite a following right. on his channel. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So so yeah, it he would, may even be semi famous YouTube. He might he might be. I mean, there are those YouTube phenoms. The guy we never got around to talking about who um who tells you know girls goodnight stories and yes. stuff like that, who has all the millions of followers. Yeah. You really should look into him. He tells he, girls goodnight stories. He talks he's to you like like Christian he's your boyfriend. Kid who's yeah. for, 16 and he talks to you like your boyfriend and he makes you know probably well, like james taylor and i'm your handyman well kind of sometimes kind of. it's just he it, acts like he's listening to you yeah yeah he'll, or he he'll, um he'll will act like you're in conflict say okay honey wow. like I, don't worry don't rush it i've got i called the restaurant got the reservations delayed you're gonna be okay you look beautiful put on your makeup he it's does this, this for 15, kid. 20 minutes. He makes, I think, you know, $100,000 a year. He's during. making a lot of money on this. He's getting the million views that you might that I someday get. You yeah. Got, but anyway, yeah. That's misread. creepy. Yeah, it's it it's creepy. creepy. It made it to national news. And then, of course, you know, he's a Christian kid. So there's that. Um, anyway, Paul's basically doing that with Jordan Peterson stuff. Um, not really. I mean, but he's on YouTube. And, uh, and. <laughs> <laughs> We're gonna run Paul. He's not gonna say anything. Let me this. tell no. you about Jordan. 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 No, Jordan. Jordan. Time. Jordan would never it's time say to that. go to bed. Yep. Jordan. <laughs> Jordan, lay down. <laughs> oh gosh. But, Paul, give us. Uh, it, it is true, however, that people do listen to my podcast. God, them to sleep. You were saying that. So it's very regular. It's a very common thing. Exists. And I often listen to podcasts before I go to sleep. And if I wake up in the middle of the night and I want to go back to sleep, put on a preacher, put on a podcast, and Paul, moment go. of truth. Have you ever listened to Faith Over Breakfast? I have not. I didn't even know it existed. Yeah. So now I'll have to. Okay. I'll have to okay. find it on Pocket Casts. Yeah. Our, our, our a new voice system. to put you to sleep. There yeah. That's right. <laughs> a voice of. I'll frustrate you. So the best way to do this, Paul, is just to have you kind of tell us how this all really happened. How did yeah. you get to kind of coming down here and having thirty-five people meet in your friend's church to listen to you talk, and they're all connected to you in some way because of this video. Process. Yeah, you've got these personal relationships that started with a YouTube channel. Maybe tell us how the YouTube channel, yeah. g- give us some background. So a, a number of years ago, I, I, I'd often thought about, I'd written on CRC Voices and I'd, I'd blogged for a number of years and I thought about writing some books. But I looked around my congregation and I thought, if I write books, most of these people wouldn't read them. Right. And I thought, what will they do? Well, probably they watch TV. And then a, a member of my congregation named Freddie Schuler came up to me one day, and he had had an interesting, um, he had a little interesting career on radio for a while. And he came up to me and said, "Pastor Paul, you and I should do a TV program together." And it's like I don't think CBS and NBC are going to pick this. <laughs> so I said, "I'll tell you what, Freddie, I'll use my smartphone, and we'll make little videos, and we'll call it the Freddie and Paul Show." And so we had the Freddie and Paul Show going for about over a year. And I had played around with YouTube a little bit. Uh, CR Christian Reformed Church Synod, which is its annual conference. Um, I did a post-game show for Synod one year. Yeah. And so I was playing around with it, and I was playing around with how could this be used for teaching. I was reading some C.S. Lewis stuff. And then Jordan Peterson kind of came up on, on my radar screen. I was very interested in him. And I blogged about him, and that didn't get much response. I talked about him on Voices. That got a little bit more response. And I thought, there's something I was reading. And this was about two and a half years ago? This was Three this was ago? October, November of of 2017. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And and I had been reading Neil Postman's Amusing Ourselves to Death yeah. and thinking about media. 
and thought, there's something about Jordan Peterson and YouTube. There's a reason this is happening on YouTube. Is that where he gets his majority exposure is YouTube? That's where he blew up. So there okay. was a there okay. was a bill in the Ontario legislature called yes. C sixteen. Yeah. And he was opposed to it. And the story goes that his wife was away one night. And often if he couldn't sleep, he'd get up and he'd write to kind of get his angst out. And he'd been playing around with YouTube too. And he'd been posting his classes online. So he thought, I'm just going to get on YouTube and I'm going to make a screed. So he makes the screed. And the next day it just gets picked up by the media and off it goes. Hmm. And that's what sort of catapults him. And he didn't mean to do that necessarily. He didn't think that was going to be his catalyzer. No, he had been doing stuff on YouTube. He had been on Ontario Public Television a number of times. He was fairly well known in Ontario. Yeah. But, so, but but didn't necessarily see that not for level that. of acceleration. Right. What, what though? Just to, for our audience, what is a screed? So they know a screed is when you you know when you get home from work and someone cut you off in traffic and you say to your wife, "I just can't stand Tucson traffic anymore," and you just you know Go have on. at it. It's Got not it. against her. He he just did this on this bill. Gotcha. And that and so then you know the one day there's a there's a protest at the university. There's always protests, and so he asked a colleague, "What's this protest about?" It's about you. What do you mean it's about me? <laughs> and so, you know, off he gets launched. Well, I had been seeing that people had been – so then he starts this 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 biblical series. And I'd been reading in the comment section, reading on Reddit, that people now who had been fans of Sam Harris, had been atheists, they're now curious about the Bible. And they're kind of – and some of them have been trying to visit church. And I thought, what is Jordan Peterson doing to help people – know a little bit more about the Bible, or to have a little bit of awareness of church. And so I thought, I can make a video. Hmm. So I made a first video that didn't really, nothing much happened. Then the second video, which was something like uh, a pastor, um, had three reasons why this pastor thinks Jordan Peterson is important. And that video sort of took off, and I had 15 YouTube subscribers forever. And then wow. suddenly I had 300. And I thought, oh, that's kind of cool. And then I had 600, and I thought, uh, this is a problem because <laughs> my YouTube channel is mostly the Freddie and Paul show. Yeah. And I don't know how the Freddie and Paul show will play for a larger audience. And of course, Freddie was thrilled. <laughs> he was like, I told you so. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> they, they just keep asking for the Pepsi endorsement and it hasn't come yet. I said, well, Freddie, wait for the halftime show. But And so it would grow and grow. And then people would begin writing to me and saying, you know, I want to talk to you. And I'm a pastor, so of course yeah. I talk to people. So then I'd be having conversations. But they're not in Sacramento, so I'm having it on Skype. And then I I would have a conversation with someone, and they would ask me about something that I said, and I couldn't remember. So I started recording them. And then I began noticing that the conversation I had with this guy would probably help this guy. Uh, yeah. So then I began asking people, would it be okay if I would share this conversation on my channel? And a number of people said, sure. And then people started watching the channel, not only for the content I was putting out about Jordan Peterson, but also for the conversations because they were finding other people like themselves or or who at least were interesting and they wanted to listen to that. And so that just kept growing. Then some people began wanting to talk to me just so they could get on the channel. And it's kept going since then. And John Van Donk comes to me and says, you know, you really got to start a meetup. Like, uh, no, 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 you really got to do it. And a, a couple of other people said the same thing. So, all right, go to meetup.com, got the thing, put it up there. And I thought, I don't know if anybody's going to come. And the first night, a dozen people showed up, completely out of the blue, huh. total strangers. And as a pastor of a of a small, struggling church, you know, you do VBS, you do all these things to just get anybody through the doors looking for right. a free hot dog. <laughs> and, and here people come, and well, we want to talk about, Christianity and the Bible and philosophy and God and as a pastor it was like oh I've been waiting for this like, this for is years. what I've been looking for right and all of a sudden meetup.com John how do you know about meetup.com I had started a, uh, a storytelling event in oh, China okay. and in order to publicize that and especially give people the chance to RSVP I used uh, meetup.com as a publicity thing alongside of a Facebook page. And so. this was, was this church related at all? No. Just storytelling. Yeah. Yeah. And so you, you, because of your goal of just like sharing stories had found meetup.com, used it, saw that it worked. As People a tool, were paying yeah. attention. Yeah. And then you are interacting with 
with Paul and you say, ah, I've got an idea. And so then the people who are watching your YouTube videos start to get together. Right. So yeah. so then, you know, the emphasis was always people would come to me and say, well, you're my pastor. I'd say, I can't be your pastor. I'm not your pastor. Huh. You need to find a local church and build relationships with not just a pastor, but with a local church, because it's in the face-to-face interaction that a lot of the things that you want for your life, you will actually find. You're not really mm. going to get them on YouTube. YouTube is fine, but it's a it, it's not really a relationship. Right. So you said something uh, that what intrigued you first is what's this connection that Jordan Peterson is making to help people move towards the place of like, I'd like to check out a church. I'd like to begin to investigate what the Bible is saying. What do you think he tapped into? What is it that you... That's a big question. I think this gets really wonky fast. I think over long periods of time, our perception of what we mean by this word God has changed significantly. Mm. And Jordan Peterson reinvigorated in people's imagination an ancient idea of God that made sense to them. Mm. And and Jordan, I, I saw this when Jordan was having a conversation with Sam Harris, and it became very clear that Jordan's idea of God and Sam Harris's famous atheist, his idea of God that he had been complaining about, they're talking about two different things. Mm-hmm. And so Jordan suddenly reignites in people's imagination what what we've what has sort of been built into our language about what what God is. Yeah. And that then starts them down a road of asking questions, and now they're reading Dostoevsky, they're reading Nietzsche, they're reading Piaget, they're reading Jung, and they're beginning to understand that the story that is in my head, which is in many ways me, because our stories don't age the way our bodies do, that that story is intersecting with bigger stories around us. And my philosophy has always been, what what do pastors do? Pastors are curators and improvers of stories. Hmm. And so Jordan Jordan was, you know, he was off on his status rocket and he couldn't talk to all of these people right. and I thought I'm a I'm a small church pastor. I I'm now having I'm now having more conversations with people the kinds the likes of which I would go months without and longing for. And so what do I want for them? I want them to be able to be in a spot where they can continue to have these conversations. And even even when a channel gets up to a certain size, I can't talk to all these people. Right. So they need to talk to one another and meet up, doing meetups, doing – and with a Discord server, which is a way for people to find each other. And then we have some other YouTube channels that sort of happened after mine because I said, okay, once we've had two conversations, that's it on the channel for now at least, and you got to talk to each other. So I, I think a thing that um – when I think about the village, the village has had a very like online in my version of things. The village has had much more of an online presence, discussion online, sharing stuff online. Um, with our church, I frankly was um, was so intent on there needing to be the personal layer of experience that we even kind of hid our sermons in the website, mm-hmm. where you don't go to our website and come across sermons. And we've kind of rethought that, so we've started a, a church podcast and because we've we've started to go you know what we are hearing that people might meet you in a digital space before and then trust you to to come into your physical space so this is a a little bit of a new you know idea for me because i i hear this um i obviously believe what you're saying and i'm seeing the evidence of it but at the same time there's a part of me that goes really you know people are watching a YouTube video and then they're going on to a you know basically what I would have called a chat room of some form and then they're actually going to meet these people and and their friendship has already begun and you know so I'm I'm owning that that's happening but there's a part of me that I would say even within the last couple of years would have said mm, that's not really how it works um of course well, perhaps it helps to differentiate between do they seek this connection in the flesh yeah. at a church or in a group, a neutral group. Yeah. And so and so I think that the neutral group, the meetup group, is kind of like the, the stepping stone yes. to the possibility that they might yeah. reconsider church, but in the meantime, yeah. it is a way to be together. 
And I'd read a, <clears throat> a thing that Tim Keller had written about uh, like a seven-story building, and the seventh story was actually coming and worshiping God in a church. And so there's the entry-level floor and then the different things that somebody might travel through. And he doesn't talk about meetups, but it feels like that kind of neutral spaces. Yep. Neutral spaces where people can build relationships and where a Christian could be to meet folks um, and to just be a good friend and colleague and so on and so forth. I call so, it generous hospitality. Yeah. You, you were saying yeah. That. John, so do you, uh, could you tell us like what happens at a meetup? Like what would it look like if I were going to go? What would I be expecting and what kind of experience might I have? Well, to clarify, every meetup is different because sure it, it is, is its own thing and people come there to do a quilting and to sure. have a bicycle group or a book reading or whatever. And they're self pro- our, self-proclaimed. Your, so, yeah. your meetup. Yeah, no, in, in, in my meetup, and I have actually very much followed uh, the model that we established at the very first time when we were together. Okay, why don't you all introduce yourself and uh, say something about how you first came across Jordan Peterson and uh, what difference has that made in your life one way or the other? And the interesting thing is that it varies from group to group, I'm pretty sure, because some people come there very much for the ethereal experience, the discussion of intellectual ideas. My own my own meetup group quickly evolved into when it became clear that it was a safe place to talk about things you've been thinking about. And then pretty soon it goes down into the things you've been thinking about when you lay awake at night. And then it becomes the things you're thinking about in relation to your actual life. And so it became very personal very quickly. So in my meetup group, and I'm pretty sure that it does scare away a few people, but in my meetup group there's a lot of very personal conversation going on about, okay, well, what does it actually mean to sort yourself out, which is a Jordan Peterson slogan. And, uh, and and how does that take shape in my everyday life? So now I th- maybe Paul can speak more clearly to what happens at his meetup because I'm sure that his meetup group is different from mine. So In our meetup group, it, we started the same way. We start with introductions. One of the things that struck me is that now in over two years of doing this, we've only had one meeting. We meet once or twice a month when we haven't had a brand new person in. That's you know, amazing, yeah. Which was really shocking yeah. to me. The Obviously, for the regulars, the relationships deepen. Other people come maybe once and done. Some people come, and then three months later, they come back. In in our group, the there are some people who seem particularly gifted at finding interesting topics to begin. We often use the introductory circle to let people talk a little bit, to just get a sense of, why they're there? What, what have you What have you come here for? What do you need from this meeting? And then, if we can, we'll we'll usually break up into groups of five or ten, so that the conversation isn't too large, and we just get people talking. And if you can steward the conversation, people can often find what they need from the evening. Yeah. To, to and and you never know what that is because everybody's different. And some of these people may have a familiarity with you from YouTube or something, but some of these are just finding you on meetup.com. They're exactly. just they're just scanning meetup.com, looking at where are people getting together and talk and what are they talking about. Yeah. yeah. And they're showing up. Can you I mean, so as a I'm telling you, I'm kind of like yet to be convinced on this in a way, or that I'm just, this is new to me, the idea that like meeting people in the digital space is a, a really great space to yeah. meet folks. Yeah. Um so just just tell me what you've learned about that, like that you know how that's moved from the digital space to being to being like a personal friendship, um, and how yeah how that's working for folks, and what if you could teach people in our churches who listen to this, and a couple other pastor friends of ours who tune in, like teach us about it, I guess. Mm. Number one, people are lonely. Yeah, and if you look at look at ancient cities there's all these pillars and roofs but there's not a lot of walls mm-hmm. if you look at our civilization there's all these walls we have now made privacy a constitutional right mm-hmm. and that privacy affords people some of what they want which is safety yeah. but a lot of it is loneliness yeah. and isolation yeah. isolation and so in, in some ways youtube conversations podcasts are sort of methadone they're, they're not exactly a drug, and they're sort of helping people not be so lonely. Radio's done this for a long time. Television's done this for a long time. The Internet is now allowing things to get more specific. Uh, everything that we know about a real-life church and real-life people is that people are hurting, they're broken, they're complicated, and they're able to hurt each other. And so part of 
it's all the same stuff that pastors know. Yeah. It's it's helping people find each other. Um, when they hurt each other, seeing if you can, okay, let's let's get past this hurt. But you often know that on the other side of hurt is the potential of vulnerability and relationship and openness. And so it's helping them to steward those conversations and steward those relationships. And also creating a community in which there's a culture that this happens. Mm-hmm. And and this is part of why I'm so happy to be here at the village because just knowing Rod for all these years, right. I see you guys as you might find big, huge churches out there that have all kinds of people. But what I know about this church is that that basic thing that most people need from church, this church does well. Now you might say, oh, look at all the times we failed. Yeah, but... It's no, mostly no, we failure. Do it well. We do it well. Not gonna, no. You do it well, yeah. and I've seen that. Yeah. yeah, it's absolutely. I mean, and the the church that I pastor, though not like the village, is very influenced by it. I mean, Rod sits with me every week, and I think that there are there are unique things we we are going to have. We're going to have dinner together. There's a general um, sense of of hospitality and care for one another that that comes through. There's a deep um, you know, if, if somebody gets hurt at our church, it hurts the whole church because right. it, it ripples and it affects. And so we we face those things. It's not like you just disappear. And, and you know, um, and uh, we've heard about our church that that people know that we will envelop them into community. Um, and so I, I think we were we learned this from a church like the village, but it does. It's not common. It's not. I, I would say that more churches have this going on than maybe we think. Yeah. But then again, you know, it's it's very easy to go find evidence that churches don't act like this as well. It have you know, so it's it's a unique thing that a church can offer, should offer, maybe needs to learn to offer again instead of functioning like corporations, more like families. Um. Yeah, John. Well, um, I belong to a much larger church. Yeah. But one thing that's been helpful for us is to conceptualize in our own mind the difference between digital hospitality, which is how does our website look to the outsider and people who just accidentally bump upon it. And then there is such a thing as uh, physical hospitality, you know, in terms of our physical space. Are we willing to share our facilities with other people for their own purposes? And then we hope that in in and through all of that, we, we can develop some personal hospitality in our hearts for the other, you know, in, in the sense that um, can can I be friends with a, a person that I don't normally fellowship with, is not part of my community? Can I welcome them in, in much the same way that the Bible says, you know, do not fail or neglect yeah. to practice hospitality, for in doing so, some have entertained angels unawares, and I work with the assumption that whatever person God brings into our midst may very well be a gift of God for yeah. us instead of us being the gift to them. Yes, and this we isn't a one-way thing, right? No, yeah. it's not. Yeah. yeah. So can you, Paul, talk a little bit about, uh, I mean, I think something unique about Jordan Peterson and that he's a Jungian psychologist. And so that he's this, he offers a very pastoral approach to his philosophy and the way he engages. Can you talk a little bit about that and how that influences the way he engages? and? He is, he is a clinical psychologist, and I think the heart of his, I mean, if he were write, if he were to write a personal mission statement, I think it would be to help individuals lead a more meaningful and significant life. Yeah. And Sounds so good. he has majored on this. And, and the, the part where the Jungian psychology comes in now, of course, if before I knew of Jordan Peterson, the tiny little bit I knew about Jung from the church was a red flag. That's about all right, I knew. Right. Yeah. But but through this, I've had to read some Jung and, and get to know this a little bit. And I think one of the, the real contributions that Jung made, Jung, as a young doctor, went into a, you know, was assigned to a mental hospital. And he got there, and the other doctor said, well, don't bother talking to the patients because they're crazy. And he's like, well, I, you know, isn't that our job to help these people? And so he, against his... The orders of a supervisor started talking to the patients and began to realize that the patients were living in a world that was very much connected to their storied world. In other words, the internal and the external stories were 
connected and there were problems with that connection. And so he began to work on the relationship between the internal and the external story. And I think that is similar to what Jung was the son of a reformed pastor. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And not a very happy father, but this is something that I think we in the church have always known Mm -hmm. because we, we steward the stories of the Bible and we steward the stories of people's lives and we bring them together. And I've seen, you know, I think this is part of what Jordan Peterson has blessed the world with in terms of his work. And many, many people have been blessed through him, I think. So, so the question I ask is, so I make, I make this transition and I'm transitioning into the church or I'm, I'm thinking about exploring this. Uh, my experience is that you keep saying pastors are used to this. Pastors are used to curating uh, yeah. stories, but I, that's, not, aren't. Yeah. that's not my experience. <laughs> and and the, uh, the communities are not used to curating stories and beginning to help people come integrated as we would talk about at the village um in their story uh so how do well one how do i negotiate that if i'm coming from the outside but also how do i you know how do i make that transition if i'm a pastor how did i mean were, were there transitions for you as you began to engage more and more with people who you were starving to have a conversation with well i i learned pastoring from my father who was also a pastor and my grandfather who was a pastor and a lot of what happened in the church in the 80s and 90s, and that began earlier, was America, a, a church attendance reached its height during the Cold War. And during that drop-off, a lot of people thought, we have to get people back into church. And so church became a big business yeah. and adopted the practices of modern business. Yeah. And I'm not going to say that's that's totally wrong, but along the way, people became widgets. Sure. If you read C.S. Lewis has a wonderful essay on membership, what you said earlier about and when someone in church is hurting, the whole body hurts, yeah. that's exactly what the Apostle Paul said. It's exactly what yeah. C.S. Lewis said. And so these older traditions of pastoring know this. Mm-hmm. And so what we've seen in America now is sort of the evacuation of the middle where you have many people in these large mega churches who tried to compensate with that with small groups always with to varying degrees or the majority of churches the vast majority of the churches in America have less than 75 people in them yeah yeah and in a in a group that small those dynamics really come to the fore and so you look at people like Eugene Peterson for example the art of pastoring has not been lost it's sort of been um overshadowed by church as big business. But I think part of what we've seen in the last 20 years is that it's been a real pushback against that because, okay, it's okay to be a member of Costco, but if my church is like (laughs) Costco, there's a problem. Yeah. And I think people, um, I mean, I, I I observe that there is a a group of, of folks and I want to say younger, but that's not true. It's older and younger, um, who are definitely, you know, looking for that that type of church where there's a real connect, and maybe I should say that type of anything, right? Like whether so, it it would be is there a meetup somewhere? Is there something where I can have this like be known and belong? And then there's a group of folks who who are still though they may long for that, it's very risky and and you know are kind of going you know the Costco thing. It's not really checking all the boxes, but it's safer. Yep. Cause I don't, I don't have to put it all on the line. And, and then if somebody, if they hurt me, it's easy to walk away. Um, ha- have you, how have you observed people that you're meeting in like the digital space who are then walking into kind of what Eric's described, they're walking toward potentially the church or some form of community processing that potential risk. How's that going? Is that, has that been natural? Co- how complicated, what, you know, how, how are people responding to that? invitation to be known to come actually be physically present with others. So when I started this, I would say, you know, one of my early videos was, look, I am not your pastor. I can't be your pastor. You need to find a local church. So then people would write me back. Have you, have you seen what's available to me in my town? <laughs> I, I get, I get like students. Cause I used to work with students and people who are, they move out of town and they call and they, I go, do you go to church? They go, no, no, not anymore. Um, but I'm really glad you're in my life or something. And I go, you know, why not? And they go, do you look at the churches in my town? Yeah. Just go yeah. online, look at them. And, and yeah. And I'm like, ah. so, th- so that's yeah. one, that's one factor of it. And so 
and that's where I really do understand the need for meetups and YouTube and all of this yeah. because things aren't necessarily available. But there's also the other piece, which is people imagine that what they've seen in television stories and the movies with that within 45 minutes or an hour or two hours, that suddenly their issues will be resolved and they'll have this you know, epiphany experience. And I would say, no, it might take a decade for you to appreciate some of this fruit. Yeah. Now, if they had a fundamentally agrarian perspective, they would understand that <laughs> things take time right, to, to grow. grow. Yeah. But in our technological culture, people imagine I'm going to go to church. Switches that get flipped. And, right. and, yeah. and in fact, churches have gone to, we're going to use big sound, big names, you yes. know, polished sermons to affect an experience in that moment, and people will walk out of that church with a glow. Now, what they confuse that glow with is actually uh -huh. personal and relational growth, yeah. which means that, okay, so you've got difficulties in your marriage. Well, generally speaking, after six or ten years, things get better. They're like, six or ten years? Right. Yeah, six or ten years. Yeah. And and the same with church. Yeah. I was hoping that you would, you know, a week or two, you would fix this up. No, that's not the way it goes. And it's and it's I think super frustrating. I mean, I I talk to people in our context who had they maybe they grew up in church or something, but they you know they got out of college and they went and they found somewhere where they got the goosebumps. Yeah. You know, and then they realized like they then they did something that they thought they weren't capable of some you know sin or whatever, and they went well, crap. I thought, I thought I had fixed that. I thought I'd, <laughs> right? I, I found a community. I felt the Holy Spirit. I thought we were done. And then maybe this isn't all real after all. And so I think that there's a part of the, you guys at the meetup last night were talking about people's deconstruction stories. And I think what's sent a lot of people spiraling that direction is the fact that they're going, this doesn't feel like it's working. I tried it. It didn't feel like it's, there's a lot of reasons, but that's one I hear a lot. And I feel like what we promise to people is really important. So we tend to talk in our church a lot about like long game disciplines. This is going to be hard. Um, we just preached the other day about like, you know, Jesus basically tried to dissuade people from following him from time right. to time. Cause he said, this isn't, you know, like, look, do you, are you really, are you going to be like the builder who kind of does this for half the time and then walks away and everybody laughs at you? Cause you look dumb, you know, think about it. You know, he wasn't like going, hey, just come in, feel the, feel the power. You know, it was, he didn't talk like that. Yeah. And his disciples walked with him for three years and then discovered that they didn't get it most of that time. And that had to be frustrating. Mm -hmm. But that, that's the story we've been given is one of time, pain, slow growth, seeds that grow into trees in which all the birds can rest. That, that takes decades, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's the kind of speech the Bible invites. So, Paul, I have two questions. One, in just where do you think you are in this technology? Because this is actually something relatively new. There's not like tons of pastors critiquing Jordan Peterson on YouTube, right? That's <laughs> Which is why you're here is because there weren't <laughs> tons, of, tons of them. Yeah. Right. So that's one. And then where are you in the process maybe in the sense of how long do I want to do this? Like is this, you know, in the – because at some point you're – you know, are you going to want to continue or do you want to do something different or so like the technology and then you, like. the technology is new and I don't think we have any idea what this is really doing. And that part is scary. I, when I started blogging, I made the decision that I was going to do this if I found it worthwhile for me. And it, that's the same way with my videos. I, one of my second or third video, I said, you know, I might stop doing this tomorrow. And people are like, no, don't do that. And, and But I do this because many of my monologue videos, as I call them, not the conversations, but the monologues, are just me thinking out loud because I need to think through things. And so that's what I did on Voices. That's what I did on my blog. And I found I can do that on YouTube. And what's really cool is that it invites a community of reflection and conversation, which is enormously helpful to me because I can't think of everything. I get lots of things wrong. And so then in the comment section, in conversations with people, I learn a tremendous amount. Over the last two years have been some of the most fruitful learning experiences of my life. So 
yes, I do this because it helps people, but I also do this because it helps me. Huh. And if it didn't do that, I couldn't keep doing it. So do you think part of the popularity of your show has, or your whatever you want to call it, uh, your channel, it is. <laughs> yeah, uh, is partly like the gray beard, the fatherly kind of thing that you offer to, to people looking for a father, yeah. looking for someone to build a foundation for them, give them a place to engage in something more complex and meaningful? I was, I was just thinking on on those same lines, like here are the two of you who are with us and we don't have viewers, so they hear your voices, oh, but, but these aren't, yeah, we have one viewer. Hi, Job. Um, we, uh, but you know, you're used to having the technological conversation with some young 20 something who knows all the algorithms and, and, and that's not you, you guys. I mean, you're, you're the older guys who are kind of like walking into this after long ministry careers in a way. Um, and so, yeah, how is that, how is your age factored into like how this has gone for you and maybe has helped establish it? And, and then, yeah, how, how are you understanding that having had like seen a lot of different types of media in your lifetime? And, I would like to speak to this small yeah. piece of it. And that is that I've been around long enough to have personally experienced the kind of deconstruction and alienation and loneliness and feeling like you're on the periphery of something. Yeah. And then to find ways of of framing that and, and formulating that in such a way that other people can identify with it, that has been helpful for me in recognizing the need for such venues or strategies yeah. or whatever. It's mostly out of a pretty existential awareness of uh, of the kind of thing we've been talking about here. So that's one piece of it. Yeah. I had to be old enough to be able to process that over time. Yeah. So. It, was like, it was like at this age you were ready to yeah. enter into those yeah. type of conversations. I, I think, you know, I'm old enough to have seen myself fail at so many things in life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> you know. Isn't that like – that's such a very credential. liberating. <laughs> such a credential. Yeah. Well, you you know, someone comes into my church. You know, it's funny. Oh, you've got a YouTube channel. Your church must be. Why don't you visit <laughs> my church? Why don't you take a look at the people? Why don't you see how, what a dramatic failure I have been as a pastor and a church leader in in many many ways. My father, um, I consider him a tremendously to have had a tremendously successful ministry, but his you know. According to many of the standards of this world, he was a failure. Right. And but it's in these it's in these failures that you learn wisdom, patience, all of the really deep important fruit. And here's the thing: you go out and talk to people, and and if they can if you can get past the the reputational show and get them to admit, you know, yeah, I've I've failed in I failed in my marriage, I failed with my children, I failed in my career. I've I failed as a child. I failed as a parent. I mean, it's just all over the place. We fail all the time. Okay, well, that's in some ways there's some good news in there. Let's find that good news and hmm. see what wisdom you have gained through these failures. An interesting thing that came up at the meetup yesterday was uh, there's a, a guy named Ivan who who comes to our church from time to time and is just connected with the, the meetup folks here in town. And he, he has this reputation for gathering people. And so I didn't ask him the question during our time, but I went to him after. I said, how you have that reputation, how did you get it? And his answer to that was, um, there were a lot of parts, but one part was he said, you know, I think people want to know they can be vulnerable. So basically sometimes I go first and I talk about something I feel vulnerable about. And so they know it that I'm okay with it. And then I then they can do it too. And then they want, they want to be around cause they know it's okay. And I wonder if something that you've done, even in taking that posture, um, cause there's probably the YouTube phenom who's out there who has all who every, they know everything. Right. And they gather a certain group of people that feel secure because they hear somebody that feels confident. That doesn't seem like your persona that you've put. I mean, from what I've listened to, that's not you. Um, you're in process, you're figuring things out. You've failed. Um, and I wonder if like the flip side of that is that some people go, you know what, that feels more like my life. I can relate to that. And so then that's the kind of person I might actually want to meet or chat with offline or, you know, get to know is somebody who was vulnerable enough to start 
and to show me their vulnerability because now I know it's safe. Yeah. I don't know. I wonder if that is part well, of it. Well, and, and, and I think that the other people that present an, an image or a persona that they have it all figured out, they will draw a different kind of audience. Yeah. And, and, and maybe that is that for such a time as that. That is yeah. what, maybe what they need. But, um, yeah, we're not always there. And right. So, yeah. So, so, Paul, I asked one more question. It just not to turn this really spiritual, but what you're doing is moving the kingdom of God forward by taking it to ground that it wasn't, right? Yeah. And, and translating it for people. So it is a very frontline kind of experience. So for you personally, over the last two years, where's the discouragement been? Where do you feel like the enemy has attacked you? Like what, what's that looked like for you as you've gone through this over the last two years? Well, you know, we all have insecurities, so there's there are times when I, I I try not to listen to my own videos because if I did, I would probably delete the channel. And and you know and so no, I I get discouraged. There are times when I think, what am I doing? This is insane. And you know, one would have imagined, well, you know, a thousand people listen to the rough draft of my of my Sunday sermon, and then 35, 40 people are there to actually hear it. I mean, how crazy is that? And when this started, people were like, oh, your church is going to fill up with people. Now, really, one guy is is there, <clears throat> And apart from the meetup. The meetup is going well. And, and so then somebody asked at the meetup once, what happens when more people come to the meetup than are coming to the church service? He says, well, I'll worry about that when that happens. But that does happen sometimes. So I that don't. calls into question, like, what is your church exactly? Exactly. Yeah. Well, and and what am I doing? Um, you know, and I, I, if someone, I don't get things right. I say things wrong. Sometimes I say things dangerously wrong, and then I think that's on me. Hmm. So, but if you're if you're a loser, you also it's like, well, what do I got? What I, <laughs> what do I really have to lose here? Right. I mean, if if I were pastoring a large, successful church with a reputation, I could never have done this. I'm mm. pastoring a church that nobody cares about. And so I'm a pastor of an insignificant church that nobody cares about. So so what would he, you know, who cares what he thinks? And so. Which I mean, is probably a load of crap, by the way. Just, I mean, because, you know, your church isn't insignificant and your ministry to them is valuable. But but that said, the feeling of risk that you had going out like yeah. was low. It didn't feel like you were going to explode this thing that so many people had put their hope in, right? No, no. So it felt like, which is probably true for all of us when it comes to vulnerability, that we think so much rides on us and that our churches are so darn significant when, well, anybody could, yeah. you know, <laughs> could come and do that. Yeah, job. yeah. There's a lot of truth to it. There's a lot of truth to it. Because we've seen others. We totally <laughs> right. Yeah. So have you gotten criticism from people within your community about what you're doing? Not within my local community. I mean, we have a YouTube comment section and <laughs> yeah, the, I heard about that. the I mean, almost regularly some of the fiercest critics are the Christians. That's interesting. That's actually and, and what totally. Are, what Kanye are, West is saying the same thing at the moment. What are you? What, uh, <laughs> good company. What are you? What, <laughs> what, what is just the came major in my head? Popped in my head. that you get from Christians. Oh, don't I'm, push hard enough. I don't push hard enough. That's something. I mean, oh, immediately okay. I got. I got, I would get letters from people that would say, "You had this person on your channel, and that was your chance." My chance to what? To make them a Christian? I'm a Calvinist. I don't believe I yeah. make Christians. I believe the Holy Spirit does that. So that's a, a very helpful thing about <laughs> Calvinism. It's, that's a helpful <laughs> thing. But but no, my theology is wrong. Um, sure. I'm talking more about Jordan Peterson than Jesus. Jesus. I'd say, well, go to my church channel. We don't talk about Jordan Peterson there. We talk about right. Jesus. But maybe that may be the problem. No. Yeah. <laughs> which 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 frankly like <laughs> oh and I get in trouble. <laughs> which frankly like to me that's I'm like yes these are if you're getting those criticisms like you are doing something worth doing cuz sort of sounds like what Jesus heard, you know, what are you doing at these people's homes and you know and and they're not changing, you know, they're not entering into the temple like 
So what a waste, you know, and I don't know it to me, that's like, and, and hearing it is one thing, but man, from the outside, it's like that you're onto something, know. you know, if you're hearing that from Christians, like, cause there's, there's always been the faction of the church that didn't get Jesus and, you know, or is, or they're in process, a growth process themselves where they're just nervous and afraid of what could be lost if we don't say all the right things. And, um, man, if you're hearing that from them, you're, you're moving. Well, and then, so that's, so that, so the criticism is one side and the other side is, you know, and a, a phrase I got from Pastor Rod, which is the clapping gods. Yes. And that is in many ways even more yes, dangerous. Yes. Yeah. Because I can begin to, you know, believe your accolades. Yeah. That's right. That's yeah. right. Paul, I take that back Start about you being, you being like Jesus. Yeah. Well, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Just start shopping for his cape. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, well about this celebrity thing, we're going to go on this on this yeah, Paul's on fifth missionary Paul's fifth missionary journey. That's hilarious. But the point of that is that okay, we are banking on a certain amount of celebrity. Let's just be real yeah, about yeah, that. Yeah, well, yeah. And so we're gathering people in different places. And last night, if that's the beginning of things sure. to come, that's an enormous number of people that are going to show up. However, we also already have a few years under our belt where we know that Paul shows up and the meetup is well attended and there are a lot of people there. And then he disappears. Yeah. And the the long work of the growth yeah is yet to come yeah. so we are not banking really yeah. on 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 this being the 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 revolution that's going to change the whole western united states because we've driven up to vancouver and back no um we we are trying to put a little seed in maybe yeah. and then let let local people carry that ball of hospitality and generosity and 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 sensitivity and vulnerability and let that become something yep. in the end that God will be pleased with. Well, we probably better, uh, probably better wrap it up for, uh, for the time being, but thank you guys so much. Um, it's cool to have you in town. Thanks for sharing about your journey. Um, as I've tuned in and watched some videos, this was something I really wanted to talk to you about. So thanks for talking to us and Thank Eric. you for asking all the cool questions. Yeah, oh, yeah. No, this is a pleasure. This is I, I love doing this. This is wonderful. Eric, thanks for uh, taking us to prep and pastry, and for uh, you know reminding us how good it is and that it's safe and it's good. It's safe and good. Those yeah. those potatoes, those are, were the they, most amazing breakfast potatoes I have ever eaten. That's so. they are incredible. They yeah. really are. So, uh, you know, I hope you spiritually taste those potatoes in your very own mouth and body right now. And uh, thanks for tuning in. <laughs> that was bad. <laughs> <laughs> Leave that. That was bad.